Major Lindsay in Africa presents Between the Legal Lines, a podcast focused on leading women lawyers who have pushed beyond the boundaries and found success. Welcome to Between the Legal Lines. I am your host, Andrea Bricka. This podcast is a series of monthly interviews where we explore how women who happen to be both executives and lawyers navigate the boundaries often placed upon them due to their roles and their demographic. These women have found success despite those sometimes very narrowly drawn lines that govern what is acceptable and what is not. And each month we hear a new story from a different woman about what that is like. Joining me today is Laura Overton, General Counsel and Vice President of Legal Affairs for Allegiant Travel Company. Laura, welcome to Between the Legal Lines, and thank you for joining me today. I'm excited that you're here. Please tell us a little bit more about who you are, your current role, and generally the path that got you there. Hi. Hi, Andrea. Thank you for having me today. Um, I'm excited to be here as well. Um, So I graduated from Loyola Law School and was admitted to the California Bar in 1999. Seems like a long time ago. (laughs) I started out in a small firm in Pasadena doing primarily employment defense litigation. I continued on that path for the first six years of my career doing litigation, primarily employment defense, but I also did some tort and contract suits for public entities. I worked at three different law firms during that time, all in Southern California, and I was recruited from my last law firm job to an in-house role for a long-term care company based in Irvine, California. I stayed there for about five years, then wanted a geographical cure for a failed marriage. (laughs) So I ended up taking an in-house employment attorney position with a company in Las Vegas, and I relocated to Vegas, which, which I now call home. From that Vegas company, which was in the casino gaming industry, I was recruited into my current role at Allegiant Travel Company. I have been here serving as their general counsel for almost seven years. In fact, April 20th will be seven years exactly. I currently report to the president, and basically I am asked to handle whatever may come across my desk. Our primary business line is our airline, so I see everything from the service dog who bit the passenger to an intellectual property dispute, to how to manage multi-state legal issues related to our workforce, to whatever you can imagine could arise. Uh, I interact with senior management, the board, regulators, operational leadership, and so on, uh, providing advice, managing investigations, managing uh, external litigators. My job is never boring and it changes daily. That's a lot going on in that company. Um, And congratulations on your work anniversary. That's very exciting. Has any one person been particularly helpful to you in your career? Yes. My former boss, who was my supervisor at the casino gaming company, encouraged me to take the position I now hold. Without his encouragement, I would not have done it. This position was two levels above the position I held at the time, and I didn't believe that I was ready for it. He told me I was, and he said, even if you're not, you will rise to the occasion. So I decided to set aside the doubt and take a bit of a leap of faith. Um, And it turned out to be a good decision. Now, not that everything's been sunshine and roses because there are no shortage of challenges here, that's for sure. Our primary business line, like I said, is the airline. 
And airlines have more than their fair share of challenges, I think, from the legal perspective and every other perspective. We have a bad day and everyone with a cell phone is broadcasting to the entire world about it. <laughs> but back to the, the point of your question, sometimes the help of another person can lead to unexpected learning and growth. That's something that I've learned. Uh, so we shouldn't be afraid to ask for help and receive it, including feedback from somebody that we trust. We are usually capable of far more than we realize. And sometimes encouragement of another is just the catalyst we need to help us try and enlarge our comfort zones and take a chance. I happen to know that supervisor of yours and he is a great guy and what, what an encouragement and good for you for listening to him. So you mentioned in your overview, the different industries that you've been in, very diverse. Can you talk about changing industries and how your skills transferred along your path? So as far, yes, as far as my in-house career goes, I this is my third industry. I went from healthcare to gaming to aviation. These are all very highly regulated fields. That means that there are significant and well-developed statutory schemes and bodies of law that have developed to govern these industries. There are critically important relationships that exist between the operators in these fields and the regulators that enforce the rules. So learning to navigate the areas of law as well as those relationships has been key. Really, I believe that the skills necessary to survive the in-house legal environment are similar regardless of what industry you might find yourself in. So those skills include an ability to develop a broad base of knowledge through exposure, sometimes the hard way, to many different legal areas. I have truly become a generalist, so my, my knowledge has grown a mile wide and an inch deep in many different areas. I, in turn, rely on subject matter experts that have knowledge that goes an inch wide and, and a mile deep. Um, another skill that I have found very useful is the ability to surround myself with the right people and to prioritize where I spend my time. I have found that it's futile, at least for me, to be an expert in everything and to, to try to have my hand in everything. So I hire people I trust, whether they are Allegiant employees or outside counsel, and then I let them do their jobs. I really believe that soft skills like people management and the ability to collaborate and build bridges rather than silos are very important in the in-house legal world. But all of that requires a balancing act between having a handle on what's going on in my part of the world while giving my people the ability to perform and to grow themselves. I will also say that the skills I learned in doing litigation for several years before going in-house proved very, very valuable. The background has helped with everything from being able to review legal invoices to addressing and dealing with conflict in an effective manner, to understanding the value of a lawsuit in terms of settlement and evaluating outside legal talent for litigation. So now turning to something else that you had to learn everybody, I guess, really had to learn. And that's leadership and being an executive during a pandemic, right? This is something where you probably had to bring all your skills to bear, those people skills in particular. What have you learned about leadership from being an executive during the pandemic from its start until now, two years later? I have learned that flexibility and the ability to think outside the box are indispensable. During the height of the pandemic, guidance was changing daily, and we had to pivot multiple times on short notice. 
the mask mandate is just one small example. That, that mask mandate created multiple issues for commercial aviation, and it changed several times from the, from the onset of the pandemic. So I had to be willing to make decisions based on limited information I had in my hands in the moment, knowing that there was short-term uncertainty lying just ahead. At the worst of it, you know, my company was losing over $2 million a day in cash. That was a terrifying time. No planes were flying. So as a leader in a situation like that, your people are looking to you for information and they want honesty. They don't want you to shy away from the hard topics, even when you don't have all the answers. This time was filled with, with fear, anxiety, and personal and professional challenges most of us had never faced before. I learned that, that really there is no such thing as over-communicating, including taking the time to listen to what people are thinking and feeling. Making the effort to do that shows that you do not take people for granted and they will respond in kind. Many of our people during that time were taking voluntary pay cuts. That meant so much to me because it demonstrated not only who they were, but who they believed they worked for, an organization that was worth investing in and, and remaining committed to during one of the worst times we have seen. Finally, I learned that extreme circumstances can bring out the best or worst in others in business, just like it can happen in personal matters. Vendors, for example, that we have contracts with who were willing to honor not only the letter, but the spirit of a contract's force majeure clause, allowing for delays in payments when cash flow is an issue for us. Those actions will not be forgotten, and those relationships and partnerships have been strengthened as a result. By the way, whoever thought a force majeure clause would ever receive so much attention and focus as it has now, um, <laughs> that's just been crazy. So true. So true. Um, well, Speaking of relationships, I think there's more fun things that have happened too, though, since you've joined Allegiant, right? And 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 in Las Vegas with the growth of the of sports and the Golden Knights and the Raiders, and Allegiant is a partner in all these things. What opportunities did you have to grow and learn through those processes that were new to the town, new to the company, new for you? I would assume. Yes. No, that's been very exciting and a very fun part of, of what we've been able to experience at this company, which is which has been growing and, and uh, spreading its wings in, in more ways than just flying planes. Um, so we do have a partnership, a naming partnership with the Las Vegas Golden Knights, which when they decided to have a NHL team in the middle of the desert, everybody thought that was a crazy idea. But it's just been a phenomenal success. And we are so proud that you know, our name is one of four primary sponsors that sits in center ice every game. Um, it's gotten us a lot of exposure. Um, we are uh, one of their primary partners in terms of uh, the, the relationship that we have. We have an aircraft, for example, that has a livery that's painted with the, all decked out with the Golden Knights regalia. And it just looks amazing. And that's been a very beneficial relationship. That was the first relationship of that kind that the company ventured to take under new chief marketing officer leadership. Now, after that came an even bigger um, naming rights agreement with the Allegiant Stadium, which is where the uh, now Las Vegas Raiders play 
all of their home games. And that stadium, it's an amazing sight to behold. It's an amazing facility and building in, in and of itself. And now my company, Allegiant, is part of the Vegas skyline because of that stadium. So it's just been incredible. It's an incredible story that Allegiant has to tell in terms of its success and its growth as an organization and the fact that it's branching out to be more than just an airline. We want to truly be a travel company that operates the airline. And so, you know, we are looking for those kind of partnerships. We have another exciting partnership that was announced not long ago with Live Nation where we are going to be a naming rights sponsor at many of their concert locations and venues all over the country. And having that relationship with them where people can buy packages, right? They can now buy travel packages that include not just the airfare, but the hotel stay, the rental car, the stadium, you know, the event at the stadium tickets, whether it's a football game or a concert, you know, a Live Nation concert deal where they have the whole travel package in place and they can purchase all of that through Allegiant and our partners that we've developed these uh, re- these really great, strong relationships with. Fun stuff that you've gotten to do throughout through through this transition through these industries and into into this role that you were convinced to take and that you grew into. That's so exciting for you. So let's talk about what we talk about most of the times here on between the legal lines, and that's some of the restrictions and restraints that sometimes women place on themselves are placed on them by others as they build their legal career. Is there anything that you wish you were freer to say or do it to say or do at work? And if there is anything, why can't you? I wish that I was freer to call other people out on their unwillingness to collaborate, which I suspect comes from a place of insecurity. Uh, I'm speculating somewhat, but it seems that those who are unwilling to collaborate are trying to keep knowledge to themselves and gain power and they're doing it from that place of insecurity and it just does not end up serving the organization well. Invariably, I believe more inclusive decision-making turns out better. Now, I understand there are times when the situation doesn't lend itself to that because of timing or confidentiality or some other similar concern, but more often than not, I think the lack of being open to input is coming from a different motive. So in terms of my ability to do so, to call others out on, you know, maybe an unwillingness to collaborate, I guess there's no reason I can't do that as long as I do it in the right way. Um, The last thing you want is to be critical of a lack of collaboration in a way that makes nobody want to work with you. (laughs) So that would not be a good result. (laughs) (laughs) And what do you think's been stronger the restraints you place on yourself or restrictions placed upon you by other people in the workplace? I think without a doubt, the restrictions I place on myself are stronger and more limiting than any coming from others. Allegiant in particular does provide an environment where people are free to branch out and increase their responsibility if it makes sense and they're willing to do the work. Going back to the encouragement that I received from my former boss when I took this job, left to my own devices, I probably would not have done it. I, like many other professionals, I suspect, um, suffer from that well-known imposter syndrome, you know, the fear that others are going to figure out that I don't really belong in this seat, that I'm not really good enough or smart enough or accomplished enough to be here. But that's not fair to the education and the career I have achieved. It's a faulty, internalized premise based on fear, just like so many others that can hold us back. So sometimes I, I think that the truth is most elusive when it comes to seeing it about ourselves. 
nobody's perfect. I have learned that nobody really expects me to be perfect. They expect me to be willing to do the work with the right attitude, to admit my mistakes, be willing to write what's gone wrong when it's within my responsibility to do so. And that, you know, this fear of trying or pushing myself or expanding this self-limitation is really just mine. It's not anybody else's. So I think if we give ourselves some grace in that respect, it lessens the impact our self-doubt can have on our willingness and courage to keep striving for growth and to just try. And some of that does relate to the next topic, which is the data shows a general gender pay gap in the legal profession. Do you have any thoughts on how we can close that gap more going forward? Yeah, and I, and I think we do have to be sure we're talking in terms of equal pay for equal work because sometimes comparators are not really equal, right? So where that is not happening, where there is not equal pay for equal work, we need to look at, to the organizations employing the legal professionals and hold them accountable for the inequities that exist. And that is starting to become more and more of a focus, as we know, with all of the ESG the environmental, social, and governance initiatives that are being pushed in publicly traded organizations today. That being said, you know, there can be choices that an individual could make that could impact their earnings trajectory and potential. For example, for instance, you know, the, the field that they go into could pay less than another, whatever the case may be. So while there might be a pay impact from that kind of a choice, I would not call the results inequitable or discriminatory. And I know that maybe that's not a popular viewpoint, but I think sometimes comparisons in data don't tell the whole story. And in reality, progress is being made. Um, I think it's going slow, but I think there is progress being made. I think that's a good point, because I once had a general counsel talk about what he pays outside counsel for particular roles or particular subject matter and comparing that to what he plays internally. So just because you're an AGC in one area doesn't mean an AGC in the other area or expertise is necessarily equal pay for equal role, right? That's There's difference. You pay outside counsel different rates for different type of work. So I think that's a really good and important point that some people do, don't do think about and is an unpopular topic sometimes. Um, but following on to that too, or do you have any thoughts about how we get more women into the general counsel seat? I mean, you made a great point from start from the start here, right? About not even thinking that you could do it and others encouraging you to do it. So any thoughts on, on how more women can step up into that role? Yeah. You know, I saw a study from 2021 and it was saying that over the past few years that women have been gaining ground in the general counsel role. And interestingly, they found that the traits that lead to becoming a general counsel are not only those found on a resume. So they included things like gravitas, establishing trusted relationships, leadership experience, success working outside of a core competence practice area, performance on high stakes matters, mentorship, access to the board and cultural fit. They look, they saw all of those things as just as important, if not more important than what you might find on someone's resume. And so I think that the study showed that, you know, organizations and institutions are becoming more willing to give qualified women a shot, understanding that it may require the openness to letting someone take a step up or even two to get their first chance, right? Like what happened in my situation. Um, and I think that, yes, you know, this will happen more and more as more and more women um, not only beef up their resumes, but maybe look at some of those other areas in terms of 
you know, building up some of those other types of skills and um, opportunities for themselves, which will then lead to um, being given a chance to do something maybe they haven't done before. Yes. And to your point, we did a survey of general counsel about what was most important in their role. And the substantive areas were much lower in the ranking of what was important than the communication, the relationship building. Those were the most important things for the role. And I actually am have an article coming out in today's general counsel that addresses some of that. It's you know not necessarily to your point, the substantive areas, but those softer skills and sometimes not even truly soft skills, right? I mean, communication is not necessarily a soft skill. It's an important skill that is needed to be an executive and a leader in a general counsel. So th- th- excellent point. In closing, what advice would you offer to other ambitious women about workplace behavior? I would say be true to yourself instead of being seduced into trying to fit into some sort of role or stereotype that you you think may be expected of you. Let your work speak for itself and try not to get caught up in, in a struggle for recognition or the clamor for accolades. I think a lot of times other people see through that and it, and it may not go over well. Uh, be careful about who you trust in terms of self-disclosure. Be wary of any temptation, for instance, to breach professional boundaries in an attempt to strengthen relationships. Um, Also, in my experience, how a woman presents herself physically is important. Again, this may not be a popular viewpoint, but I think it kind of comes back to a fundamental feature of human nature that others will ascribe to us internal traits based on our outward appearance. A professional appearance makes a difference and it demonstrates what you think of yourself and frankly, the role you're in. If your appearance attracts attention for the wrong reasons, your perceived competence, regardless of the reality of how capable you might be, may in turn suffer. Um, So I I think it's important how you show up. Laura, thank you so much. Thank you for joining me today. It's been great to have you. This has been Between the Legal Lines, where you have just heard from Laura Overton, General Counsel and Vice President of Legal Affairs for Allegiant Travel Company. I am Andrea Bricka from Major Lindsay in Africa. Thank you for listening. Join us next time for a news story from another woman who is successfully operating between the legal lines. If you have a story you would like to share, please contact me at abricka at mlaglobal.com. Thank you. Discover how Major Lindsay in Africa can help you navigate the legal landscape at www.mlaglobal.com.